This is an ABC podcast. We're all starting to get used to the presence of artificial intelligence through chatbots and algorithms. But what decisions can we trust AI with and what should we leave to humankind? I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Occam's Razor, a soapbox for science. Today, Carolyn Semler explores what role humans play in the future of AI. What would you think if the decision to give you a kidney transplant that you desperately needed was determined by your race? How would you feel if your chances of attending a top university wasn't based on your ATAR or how well you did in year 12, but based on your postcode? And what would you do if you learned that information that you were shown in your search for a new job wasn't based on your qualifications, your skills or experience, but on your gender. All of these examples come from real world instances where machine learning algorithms have been applied to solve what were previously in the hands of humans, decisions that humans used to make. Now the promise of machine learning and artificial intelligence to help us to navigate a really complex and difficult world is undeniable. There are entire fields of science that have been completely transformed by machine learning. I'll give you a good case in point. We'll probably still all be in lockdown right now if it wasn't for the application of machine learning to the development of new vaccines that can really rapidly be changed and produce vaccinations that will keep up with a virus that wants to mutate every five seconds. However, there is a need for us to decide which problems in the world should be put in the box for an algorithm to solve and which problems should remain in the hands of humans. How do we decide between these two types of problems? In fact, who decides which part of our lives are going to be completely transformed by algorithms and which part of our lives are going to remain the domain of our fellow human beings? At present, if someone comes up with an idea for automating some aspect of our lives, they are free to go and pursue that idea. And that seems right. And if there's a market for that idea, then chances are it's probably already been deployed and developed and it's out there. Now, there are certain safety critical industries like healthcare, where there are some minimum requirements around what an algorithm should be shown to be able to do before it's out in the world doing its thing. However, there are no legal requirements to prove that the algorithm first does no harm. And in fact, it's really hard to prove when an algorithm has done harm. So the market decides which things are turned into an algorithmic problem and solved by artificial intelligence and machine learning, and the consequences be damned. Let me give you an example. There was an algorithm that was developed and deployed to help people to find jobs online. And a lot of online um, job searching sites use similar sorts of technology. Researchers were able to show that this algorithm for showing job ads showed a $200,000 a year executive pay job to a male group of users 1,852 times, and a female group of users saw that same ad only 318 times. Gender pay gap, anyone? Now, the problem, of course, is that algorithms are trained on data that can produce and reproduce the inequalities that already exist in society. 
And it's not always easy to see where that comes from. I'll give you another really important example. This comes from an algorithm that was developed in the UK for the purposes of increasing the speed and the accuracy with which people made decisions about where an ambulance should be sent to. Just like here in South Australia, they have problems with deploying health resources in a really stretched network. I'm going to make this a little bit more personal by telling you about a man called Mark Hemming. Mark Hemming was a 41-year-old man with some health complications and one evening he rang up the emergency number in the UK and asked for an ambulance. He was in excruciating pain. At the other end of the line was a human operator and an algorithm. The algorithm was a series of questions that the operator was asking of Mark Hemming and he did his best to answer those questions. But in the end, it was determined that no, an ambulance was not necessary. He rang back a total of 17 times over the course of 24 hours, and each time he was refused an ambulance. At one point, the algorithm advised the operator to tell him to ring back when he was unconscious. <laughs> Two days later, a carer went to check on him and found him unconscious on the floor of his flat, and that time they got an ambulance to him. He arrived at hospital, and died 20 minutes after arrival from complications from gallstones. Entirely preventable. So algorithms, in combination with humans, can cause great harm. Australia at the moment has an AI ethics framework and it was developed by consultation with experts. And it's a set of principles that basically say how we should develop this technology. But it is just a framework. In fact, Australia is really great at producing policy and frameworks. But what it's not so great at is producing some kind of legal system that allows us to govern against harm. And so we're at the point now where we have these algorithms out there, but we don't necessarily have a way of preventing the harm. And it turns out that the complexity of the introduction of AI technology and machine learning is even more complicated than this. So the research that I do, my work with AIML, which is the Australian Institute of Machine Learning, looks at how human cognition, human attitudes, human behaviour can be modified by our interaction with artificial intelligence. In fact, I'd say to you that the most powerful behavioural change agent that we have now in our hands is artificial intelligence because it can change the way we think, feel, act, what we believe and what our attitudes are towards other people. I'll give you another example. When we jump onto social media and we interact with other people online, how many of us are thinking about that as a mediated interaction? Now, what do I mean by mediated? What I mean is that there's an algorithm there that's showing you certain things about people, about events, and that algorithm has been designed by a whole bunch of software engineers who have attitudes, beliefs, values. And as well as that, it's also probably gone through the hands of a content moderator, probably sitting in the Philippines or somewhere else, who's applying a social media framework or policy about what you should and shouldn't see. Those people are often being damaged by that work. They're seeing the worst of the internet, so we don't have to. So importantly, the way that machine learning algorithms present that information 
often embeds the inequalities that already exist within society. More than that, the way that social media platforms that we are using now are designed will show specific types of content because they are designed to harvest our attention. So Tristan Harris from the Centre of Humane Technology in the US calls this the attention economy. So the algorithms are designed to optimise our attention because our attention is monetized. The more time we spend online, the more financial reward for the social media company. Therefore, these algorithms have very efficiently learned that the things that we pay attention to the most are often negative in content that causes fear and anxiety in us. We'll look at it for longer, we'll scroll for longer, we'll be on there for longer if that's what we're shown. So the work that we're doing as researchers is aimed at understanding how these hidden features of our algorithmic lives are changing us and are changing society. AI technology can help us, but it can also harm. And I believe it's not up to the people that design these algorithms to decide what harms we're willing to accept on the basis of getting a bit of help. It's actually up to us. So if we were to design technology that helps instead of harms, what would it look like? Who would we invite into that design process? How would we represent their beliefs, their values, their attitudes? How would we make sure that there's no harm occurring? Are there instances where an algorithm should not be used? And do we need to think about that before the algorithm is developed? There's one thing that I know about human cognition and that is that it is limited, it's designed to work with a little bit of information to help us make quick, accurate decisions in an uncertain environment. It's good enough cognition. Whereas machine cognition is unbounded and it's only limited by compute power and it's designed to maximise the accuracy of a decision. Sometimes accurate decisions are not the best decisions. Sometimes a compassionate response is more important for social good than an accurate response. We need to understand that and we need to work together to try to make sure that this incredible technology is for the benefit of all. That was Associate Professor Carolyn Semler from the University of Adelaide. She's the lead of the Applied Cognition and Experimental Psychology Research Group there. Carolyn was speaking at our Occam's Razor live event at MOD in Adelaide on the traditional lands of the Ghana people. And if you'd like to come along to an Occam's Razor live show, and I very hope you do, because we have one soon in Perth, it's on the 22nd of February and I would love to see you there. Just jump onto the Occam's Razor website for more details. I'm Tegan Taylor, your Occam's Razor host, and I'll be back next week with more science done by humans. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.